Hey, good morning, everybody. It's J-Rod again. Let's talk about Kentucky Lake, April 2023. It's about to get hairy. Things just didn't go the way we wanted them to, but I guess I wasn't in the same, or I wasn't alone. I was in the same boat as a lot of other people, literally two other people, but went as a co-angler on the Toyota series, which is a great series. I think it's the best thing going, especially right now for the co-angler because there's so many prizes up for grabs. You can win 35,000 if you win. You can still get contingency money and the championships at Table Rock in November. So that's pretty much in our backyard. I consider Table Rock my second home lake. Lake of the Ozarks is my first home lake, but Table Rock is a close second. So getting into that is important and getting into that is more convenient because it's so close to home. All right, before we get really into it, I just want my boaters to know I am not going to give up their juice, and I want you guys to know I'm not going to give up the boaters juice on these podcasts. All I want to do is just give you a synopsis of what happened on Kentucky Lake and in generalities, and we're going to touch base on what they did and what I did, but we're not going to get into specifics, so just... Everyone relax. Everybody just relax. I don't the both of the guys that I fished with on this tournament were amazing dudes. One from Arkansas, one from Oklahoma. Actually aren't that far from each other. A lot of anglers come from the Grand Lake region, from Broken Bow, Fayetteville, Arkansas, all around that region just grows anglers there's just anglers from all in that area you've got grand beaver table rock bull shoals the arkansas river if you get a little further south you've got all the other arkansas lakes you've got norfolk you can mix stockton in there it's just that missouri oklahoma arkansas you can throw kansas in there but there's not a lot of anglers from southeast Kansas. There's a lot from northeast Kansas, but just the population difference. But anyway, tons of great anglers from that area. I drew two of the guys from that area, and they're both amazing dudes. And so let's get into the tournament. We, I had a little bit of a preconceived notion that there would be fish on the beds a lot more than there were we i figured that my boater would be posted up and fishing bed fish that they could see that was not the case the conditions didn't line up for that it was way too windy to even do that on the first day and they just weren't spawning yet they're they're uh, let me let me say that in a different way the full-blown every fish is on a bed and you can just see the pie plates up on the bank was not happening do i think they were in the spawn 
yes, there were definitely fish spawning, but I would say that there was more fish in pre-spawn than there were spawners because they were just setting up differently. There was a lot more fish caught on chunk rock bank and banks and transition banks that lead into spawning areas. And I didn't realize on Kentucky Lake that there was so, so much of that obvious riprap type bank that led into pockets. So there's a lot of, I'm not super familiar with Kentucky Lake, and this is a great one to go as a co-angler. So a big plus for me going to this one was I've only been down there a few times, both times. Um, or a couple times as a co-angler in the Toyota series and then just a few times on my own and I did not venture out very far. So Kentucky Lake's one of those lakes where you look at the map and you go, okay, it's a river, it's got this, it's got that. But until you really start dialing in and really exploring an area, you don't realize how vast these bays and creeks are so you go into a little bay and then there's a creek then it gets a little bigger and then it goes into another little bay and a creek and it just goes on and on and on so there's a lot of backwater areas and what i would call flat backwaters some people might call them oxbows some people might call them just backwater creeks but a lot of it's developed so it's not natural so you have a lot of chunk rock and or or more more like riprap our chunk rock at lake of the ozarks is totally different this is man-made riprap out on jetties and levees and entrances to marinas and stuff like that and the fish were really really using that now were they spawning in it i would say yes and no I would say more of using that bank to transition to go into spawn. Kentucky Lake sets up differently also from what I'm used to because they pull a lot of water. I don't know. I didn't dial in an app or anything that told me what the water was doing. I just asked the guys I was fishing with and rooming with or rooming next to and kind of they told me what was going on they were running 20,000 one day and then they were going to hold it steady and then they were when they turned it on they were going to run 20,000 and that was going to be normal for Kentucky Lake when they turn it up from there that's when they consider oh now the water is moving on Saturday or Saturday on the tournament was Thursday and Friday and then if you made the cut you fished on Saturday so these fish were pre-spawn stage they didn't have a lot of water moving so on Thursday I didn't feel like they were pulling a lot of water if any water and on Sunday by the afternoon they were definitely pulling water I do have I don't have any clue of how much but you could see the current being pulled out of the bays. So they they had it on. I just don't know how much water. So I have to practice more and getting dialed in of what happens to the fish and what turns them on, what turns them off, things like that.
So, fish are in pre-spawn phase mostly. There was a good spinnerbait bite going on. I didn't bring enough spinnerbaits. There was a good pre-spawn deal to where maybe a jerkbait would, would work. But, maybe a rock crawler. Maybe a flat side. But I didn't really have a whole lot of that stuff. I really brought a whole bunch of Senkos. Because I was going to bank on the wacky rig. And you can't just bring everything you own when you're a co-angler. And I, in fact, I had narrowed it down all the way down to one of those little Bassmaster bags that you get for free. I have so many of them. I put, you can fit two 3600 style. I don't know if they're 3600 or the size smaller than that. But two of those boxes and then a whole bunch of stuff in the, in the side pouch. So... I had plenty of tackle, but I had more of wacky rig, Ned rig, stuff like that. So I had my chances. To make a long story short, I had my chances. I hooked a giant on day one in the first couple hours of the tournament. It was kind of slow, and then we came up onto a secondary point, and I flipped in there with that wacky rig Cinco. With the water clarity, the black and blue flake was definitely the color that was working the best for the Wacky Rig Cinco. And I hooked a really big one. I want to say around seven pounds, but it could have been five or six or seven. As I said on my TikTok video and YouTube shorts, <coughs> I did a little video about that and explained what I did wrong. So that is the big takeaway that I want to remember Hopefully it helps you. Hopefully it reminds me to not make this mistake again. So before I get into it, the mistake I made was what line and, and rod that I used for my wacky rig. And to explain why I did this, so I used mono. Why did I do that? Well, mono is what I have the most confidence in. I've been using mono forever. You know, 30 plus years of fishing, I've used mono. And then now we have this braid to fluorocarbon leader going on. Well, I've tried that and I do like that and I've been successful with that. But what happens as a co-angler is if you are getting hung up a lot. So we were fishing a lot around docks, around lots of laydowns, a lot of stuff in the water, just a lot of more of a flipping type situation. But when I would flip a Cinco in there, I wasn't getting bit. Now, there was a good flip bite going on. And I really dialed that or I saw that happen with my boater on the second day. Of There was a good flip bite going on. But they were very finicky and specific of what baits that they would bite and which ones they wouldn't. It wasn't a situation to where, hey, did you go down that bank and flip it? Oh, you didn't get bit, so they're probably not on a flip bite. No, you could go down the bank with several different types of lures and not get bit. So that tells me that if they weren't spawning or if they were pre-spawn, they were so they they could have been on beds. They they could have just stayed right where they were at when they were getting ready to spawn and then decided, "Oh, it's time. We're spawning right here." right now so those fish bit like they were on a bed if that makes sense they would bite the half of the bait they would not get the bait all the way in their mouth so 
it just was not a great tournament as far as hooking every fish and landing every fish that bit. And you had to really dial everything in. So the wacky was working. The black and blue wacky for me was working great. Spinnerbait was working for my boater most of the time. So you could tell, you know, that when a spinnerbait's working and a wacky, it's kind of a weird situation where, you know, usually they get on, off the spinnerbait or on the spinnerbait, and then you have to have that to get other bites. But there was enough fish up shallow to generate some bites on a wacky. It's just April, and they're just not full-blown spawn yet. So it just, it was kind of set up really weird. We had a lot, of, we had a cold front come in, so they just weren't in a good mood. On, on the second day, it was really cold and rainy. We had a ton of rain come into the lake, and then, so we had moving water, we had rain and it was cold. It was freezing cold again. You know, above freezing, but you know, in the 40s, raining. Just just not pleasant. It was not nice. Kind of like grand, but just not as cold as grand. So anyway, there's a lot of stuff going on, but you had to have specific things to generate bites, if that makes sense. So I lost the fish. I wanted to get into braid to fluorocarbon. We'll get back to that. So braid to fluorocarbon. It's great. It's a great tool. I like using that when it's deep. I like using that on the right kind of rod. So I'm a short guy and with a spinning rod, that six, six, two, seven foot. I really like a six, eight or a six, nine, if I can find it in a medium size rod so for wacky i've always liked a medium heavy rod and the reason is i can use different types of hooks i can kind of look at the situation am i skipping docks only with cables that i might run into some brush piles am i flipping laydowns with it flipping laydowns becomes a whole nother ball game to where i want to use a bigger hook and I really want them to hit a Texas rigged weightless Cinco with an EWG or some other type of hook that you like. There's a lot of variables whenever we talk about a weightless Cinco. When you get into wacky, what type do you like a wacky rig drop shot Gamagatsu hook? Some people are now using the finesse Texas rig hook, but they're just J hooking it or they're using, you know, one without the, the J-bin in it, the straight shank one that you would use for just drop shotting, Texas rig drop shotting. If, if, it's hard to explain just over the podcast, but there's a lot of variables there. Line is the same way. You have a ton of different variables that come into play when we're trying to wacky rig so the rod I was actually using was overpowered for the line that I was using again as a co-angler I can't bring 30 rods so I only bring seven I really tried to dial it down to three rods but I added spinnerbait square bill 
uh, top water of some sort to the arsenal because you can bring seven rods in a Toyota Series tournament. So, I was using a medium heavy seven foot one Loomis. It's an 853, I believe. That's a seven one three power medium heavy fast. So that rod is terrific for a a finesse jig or a a worm rod for skipping around docks and things. It's a little bit overpowered for for a wacky rig because in a wacky rig I really want it's a wacky rig rod is so hard to find but I really want that two power because I want a fast action but I want enough enough a light enough action from the midsection to the end of the rod I want my tip to be light but I don't want it to be as light as a drop shot rod I want more of a Ned Rig type rod or the old G Loomis IMX the 843 in in a spinning rod was about the perfect power but that was also a three power so somewhere between a two and three power if you're getting a Dobbins that would be like a 702 or a 703 that, those are perfect wacky rig rods to me if depending on which series of the Dobbins you get so in the Sierra series I like the 703 in a Fury I like 702 because it seems like the Furies are a little bit heavier sometimes not in all the rods but in that particular one so you have to play around with the rods and the line to get the setup perfect because what happens is is you hook a big fish shallow when you're hooking them deep on a drop shot or even deep on a shaky head you have a little bit more room to play because you can set the hook you're leaning into them you've got enough line out you're playing the fish that gives you time to really get that hook penetrated in when you're super shallow and you're you're actually flipping or skipping to targets when you set that hook whether you're leaning in with that circle wacky hook or you're just I tend to set the hook hard because I get excited and that's another reason that I go with mono sometimes because I get super excited and I set the hook way too hard and in a Toyota series I know and I realize that it's just my nature and in my past tells me I have got to really calm down and in that situation I tend to forget so that mono saves me. It gives me some more forgiveness. I can wail on them. I can slack line hooks at them. And then it, it forgives. It gives some stretch to the line to where I'm not breaking fish off. So setting the hook and getting them on was not the problem. It was having a big fish like that on a rod that was overpowered for 10-pound test. Getting them to the boat and then having that fish surge it surged once and it was fine it surged twice it was not fine it broke me off so the gears the the drag setting on my reel 
the rod being overpowered, us being way too excited, being the first fish of the day, the wind blowing us down the bank really fast, which is no fault of the boater. I'm telling you, just the wind was howling. Just made for a bad setup, and I broke the fish off, and I lost. So I lost big fish, and I lost the momentum, but... I was able to put two more keepers in the boat that day on 10-pound test. I just kind of took it easy once I had them. I didn't lose any more fish that day. So that day was really a wacky rig day. On the second day, it was super cloudy. I could not get bit on the wacky. They got off the wacky. I kept trying other things. I did catch a few on a square bill, but they were short. And then I pulled out the Ned rigs because we really got back onto that chunk rock bank and so I and we got around some smallmouth so I started Ned rigging I was throwing an 8 pound mono on my spinning rod again super dumb mistake I've done it a million times I fish a lot guys I fish so much that it's actually in my budget it's actually cost almost too much for me to use fluorocarbon all the time so everybody's like why don't you use braid you put braid on there it'll last a year it might last two years i just when it's cold and my arthritis sets into my hands i don't like tying leaders all the time and i don't want to bother the boater i don't want to say hey i'm hung up hey i'm hung up hey i'm hung up and i don't hang up a lot but it's enough to where when you're wacky rigging the rock, the rocks or you're using a Ned rig that you don't want to be re, retying leaders all the time. So if I just break off or retie and go on with my business, if you have too heavy of line, it's harder to break off. So here's a happy medium that, that I've kind of thought out. I'm going to have a rod set up next time with braid to floral on it. And I'm also going to have a rod with straight fluorocarbon. So with that rod set up that I was talking about, that 853, that is a little bit of a heavier action, I'm going to use 12-pound fluorocarbon. I might go down to 10, but I think that I'm going to stick with 12-pound fluorocarbon. There's a lot of difference between 10-pound Seaguar and Vizex and 10 and 12 pound cigar and Vizex. And I know there's other great lines out there. There's Tatsu, there's Sunline. Um, maybe I'll try the, the Shooter. I don't know. Or I think Shooter might be a little bit too heavy for a spinning rod uh, as far as uh, memory and things like that. I think I might try Sniper. But anyway, a uh, more subtle fluorocarbon that works well on spinning rods but that 12 pound test and so i spooled that up i went to my pond i wailed on every fish that bit some missed it but others took the bait and i was able to just waylay on them and get them in the boat of course or in the boat you know catch them i was on my pond just doing experimenting and of course i didn't lose any of those fish I'm, I'm whacking them so but the line that's about as heavy as you want on a spinning rod you don't want a lot of line slap on your rod the heavier it gets it just doesn't work on a spinning rod so that's why people another advantage to braid is you can use heavy line 
you know, 20, up, you know, you can use 30 pound braid with 10 pound diameter or 15 diameter. I don't know what the ratio is, but it, but you can use, you know, a lot of guys match it now. So they'll use 10 pound braid to 10 pound leader, 15 pound braid. A lot of guys use 20 and they go all the way to eight pound braid. I don't, I don't like going that far down, but braid has no stretch. Braid works great on spinning rods, but I don't like tying things with braid unless I'm in grass. I don't mess with braid. So, uh, if you're flipping around a lot of brush and a lot of laydowns, braid tends to dig into the into the wood. If you're so, you just don't know what you're going to encounter on when you're coing there. So. I think I'm going to do braid to floral on one of my rods and then straight floral on the other. I'm definitely not going to do the mono thing again. And what I was getting at earlier is this is more expensive. So, you know, I use mono a lot. Mono works for me, but I think I can use 12 pound mono. I just... I don't know. The, the fluorocarbon gives you a better hook set. So on the second day, it's kind of a different scenario, but a lot of those fish were far away where I was making them longer casts because as a co, you have no control over the boat. So I'm making these longer casts and the mono was way too stretchy to get a real good hook set into some of the fish with the Ned rig and I lost them. So if I would have landed that fish on day one, if I would have landed all my fish on day two, I would have definitely made the cut. I would have definitely won big bass on the co-angler side and I would have been a lot richer today and a lot happier. But here's the deal. Sometimes you learn more from the ones that you do crap yet. So I have to keep my head up and stay positive. I'm still... I think I'm in 40th right now. The top 25 go to the championship. The next one's at my home lake. That really doesn't mean a lot as a co-angler, but I'll have plenty of time on the water. I have the bass open the week before. I have all this stuff leading up to the tournament to where I should be so dialed in that all I have to do is catch them and put them in the boat. So... I'm looking forward to the next Toyota series for me. I thought about going another one. Apparently, there's a wild card for the Toyota series where if you fish four of them, you take your best your best three, and then you go. So I definitely might hit up another Toyota series. So I've never done a smallmouth tournament, so I I might do that. I don't know, but I think um, as far as uh, the the tournaments go now, um, I think I'm set up well, so I have a chance. It's not like I'm totally out of it, but anyway, that's a long rundown. I didn't think that I was going to talk that much about it. But it is what it is, guys. You got to learn from your mistakes. Apparently, there was a lot of people that lost fish in this tournament. That was the really the dock talk, you know, at the weigh-in and stuff. I lost this. You know, people, I lost that. I lost this. Uh, even Randy Blockett put on a video about it that almost could talk about my day to a T. 
and he was even fishing a different pattern probably in a different part of the lake throwing different baits that just fish just weren't biting they're biting weird so a lot of guys didn't do well that are hammers on kentucky lake and hammers in the ozarks just didn't have really good tournaments but here's what's crazy is the guys that did have good tournaments you know the guys in the top five they smashed them you know congrats to those guys you know 19 pounds a day when the bite is really weird like that and hats off to those guys so they did well so thanks for listening i don't know if anybody made it to the end of this but i will use this for later so when i need to think about hey Am I going to do something stupid like put on mono on my spinning rods again during a Toyota Series tournament that's worth $35,000? No, I'm not. And this will be a reminder to not make that mistake again. You guys have a good one. Get out on the water. The best way to get out of a slump is to go fishing. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to J-Rod's Fishing Podcast. You can find me on jared.h.shelton at gmail.com, jared.h.shelton on Instagram, Jared Shelton on TikTok, Jared Shelton Fishing on Facebook. Shoot me an email. I will get back to you. We can discuss this further. And I'm on Lake of the Ozarks all the time, and the crappie are biting the bass are biting too so get out there with the guide and have some fun fishing again thanks for listening to j-rod's podcast